Are two bikes better than one? That's the question today on Pillion Power. I'm Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. On today's show, we're discussing the difference between taking one bike for two people or each riding your own bike. The pros, the cons, what's good and what's bad. And to discuss this with me, we've got Shirley Hardy Ricks and her husband, Brian Ricks, who are authors and world travelers and have spent a lot of time on a motorcycle. Today's episode of Adventure Rider Radio is brought to you in part by MotorTour.com, the online community dedicated solely to bikers. It's free to sign up. Visit MotorTour.com. That's MotorTour.com. And Audible, where you can get a free audiobook today by signing up with a new account at AudibleTrial.com forward slash ARR. That's AudibleTrial.com forward slash ARR. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks have been traveling the world since about 2003-2004. Shirley is a retired journalist and publicist, and Brian is a retired police officer. And now they spend their time, well, most of their time, dreaming about riding on motorcycles or riding on motorcycles. They're also the author of two books. One's called Two for the Road, and the other one's called Circle to Circle. And together they've racked up a lot of miles on a motorcycle. And that's what we're talking about today. I'm going to sit down with Brian and Shirley, and we're going to discuss the pros and cons of riding two up as opposed to taking two separate motorcycles. Now, I'll tell you right now, there is no correct answer. You're going to have to decide this yourself, what you want to do. But this discussion may help you consider things that you might not have thought of. During our talk, Brian and Shirley are at their home in Australia, getting ready to leave on another adventure. Well, I'm here with Shirley Hardy Ricks and her husband, Brian Ricks, who I just found out are on the cusp of another grand adventure. So we got to check that out, too. Brian, Shirley, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. It's great to have you here because we're talking about riding two up and the problems that go along with it and the joys that come with it. And we're comparing that to people who travel on two separate bikes. Now, you guys are obviously well experienced traveling two up because that's all you do. Anyone who heard uh, the story before when we talked to Shirley and Brian know that Shirley's quite happy riding on the back. That is, the, is that still the case, Shirley? Uh, I actually can't ride. I can't even ride a push bike. (laughs) Oh, right. So it's desperation. (laughs) It's desperation. It's not that you want to ride behind Brian. You're stuck doing it. Yeah, look, we did toss up me learning to ride, and it's just not something I've ever really wanted to do. I'm very happy sitting on the back. All care, no responsibility. And the other thing, Jim, was that uh, when we were discussing that on our first journey, uh, I said to Shirley, look, I know you're not confident on a bike, undertaking travelling across the world is not a job uh, that you learn to ride a motorcycle on and uh, I would be forever looking in my mirrors or forever looking at you if you were in front of me and uh, I'd much prefer you sitting on the back. Simple as that. Before we get started talking about riding two up or taking two separate bikes, let's first find out what are you guys up to? You've got a a big adventure planned here by the sounds of it. Tell us about it. What is it? (laughs) 
Yes, well, um, we decided we'd been home for a while and uh, there's a big gap on our map that we need to fill in. And uh, it's really going across Russia that we're actually, the bike is uh, on its way to uh, Athens at the moment, to the port of Piraeus. We'll pick it up and we'll ride up around the Black Sea up towards uh, Bulgaria, Romania, uh, go looking for Dracula around Transylvania, see if we can find a vampire. And then we'll head across uh, Europe and up into Scandinavia, right up to Nordcap, as far north as you can go, up to the Arctic, and then uh, turn around and come down across Russia, down towards Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Kyrgyzstan, right up to the border of Afghanistan in the north, in the Pamir mountain range, and then uh, Mongolia, Siberia, uh, and then across to Vladivostok, maybe Japan and Korea, and head home. That sounds like a great trip plan. And what time frame yeah. are we looking at? Sure. Uh, we'll be on the road six months. The, the weather is um, dictates how long this trip can take, Jim, because it's um, obviously Siberia is not somewhere that you want to be other than in the height of summer. So we really need to be out of Vladivostok by late September at the latest. And um, we'll arrive in Greece in uh, April. We leave in, I think it's 30 sleeps until we leave. Um, and then, uh, so we'll hit Europe when it's still a bit cool. It'll still be cold up in Norway, but uh, not too bad and hopefully not too snowy. And then uh, across Russia should be good and the stands will be, the weather should be quite pleasant. What's the contingency plan if things don't uh, turn out to your timing? Uh, well, if the paperwork all turns pear-shaped, we'll probably go up to Scandinavia and then back down through Europe and maybe go to Morocco, because we've never been there. <laughs> so, the paperwork on this trip is a nightmare. This is our third big trip, and I thought, no, the paperwork's going to be much easier. But um, you don't just need visas for um, Central Asia. You need letters of introduction, and when you, uh, we need to go in and out of Russia three times, um, one time out of choice because we want to visit Moscow and St. Petersburg and the other two you need to, to traverse the stand. You can't get um, into Mongolia without going back through Russia. So we need uh, specific visas because of the number of entries we need to use and all of that is just more paperwork, more complicated paperwork and uh, we're actually sitting waiting now for notification that we've received our letter of introduction uh, to Russia so we can apply for the visa. How do you get a letter of introduction? Uh, you do it through travel agencies and um, some hotels will do it for you. It's, I don't quite understand why they do it this way, but the application is made on our behalf by a company in Moscow. It goes to the foreign ministry and then goes back to them um, and then to our local Russian consulate here in Australia. Um, so they then get a, a number to say that we've been given this letter and they get our passports and marry up a, hopefully marry up a visa with that letter of introduction. And let me tell you, it's not a cheap exercise, Jim. Not a cheap exercise at all. What are you paying for? Well, you have to pay for your letter of introduction for starters and then you have to pay for your visa. And in Australian dollars, which goodness knows what the Canadian dollar is doing now, ours isn't quite as strong as it was a year ago, but it's nearly $400 each for the Russian visa, Ooh. and we had to pay for the letter of introduction, which was another $150 yeah, so that's each. So if you show up at the border just with your bike, they're not going to let you across? 
No, no, no. no <laughs> Definitely not. There's no. There's. Um, I think um, Kazakhstan now will do uh, visas at the border, um, but nowhere else in that area. You need to have your visas beforehand. You need to tell them what border you'll be crossing through. Um, with most of them, you need to actually give them a date that you'll be arriving, and then you get a 30-day visa from that date. So if you arrive a little bit later, it's okay, but you can't arrive earlier. So it means a, a, a little less um, freedom in when you get to places. We need to, we'll need to be on a fairly tight schedule once we get into that part of the world. And also what border we're crossing, we've got to determine that in, in some countries and in one country, I think it's Uzbekistan, it's, you've actually got to tell them where you're staying uh, and it uh, gets marked off on a piece of paper and if the police pull you up and that's not up to scratch this $1,000 US fine, all that sort of stuff. So uh, it's very, very regimented, not uh, what we're used to at all. That certainly stifles any creativity while you're on the trip. Mm -hmm. It does, but look, we've been having a look at um, uh, some of the guidebooks for these countries and there is so much history there in the Silk Road area and um, fantastic old uh, sand built sand um, towns back dating back to the 1500s. So it's going to be worth seeing. And the Pamir region is in the Hindu Kush Mountains, and um, that that will be quite spectacular. So the, it's going to be worth the effort. We hope. <laughs> we know a few people who've done it, and they all say it's well worth the effort. The history that draws you there, is that something that you found after you were thinking of going to the country, or is it something that drew you originally? Oh, look, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, it's the fact that, uh, one, it's not easy to get into. Not many people go in there. But the, the history of the place is something that very few um, of us Westerners really know about. And that's a draw card for both of us, uh, to experience that. And everything we've heard about is uh, the people are just so friendly, and so welcoming, and um, as, as they, most people are around the world. But um, it's an area that we really want to explore, explore Jim. And we've been to Iran, and um, yeah. parts of uh, Uzbekistan and some of the other areas are very similar in, um, in, the, in the sort of architecture and the mosques with the beautiful tile work. And uh, I think that'll be, it'll be certainly worth seeing, and it's, as Brian said, it's not somewhere most people go. You've committed already. You mentioned you'd already shipped your bike, which obviously you have to for timing reasons because the bike takes some time to get there. What happens if one of these dominoes, you know, I, th I pictured a bunch of dominoes that you've lined up. If something goes wrong and knocks everything else out, then you just change your plan, like you said, and, and make yeah, Morocco the yeah. destination? That's right. I mean, we, we plan to be away six months. Um, we've made contingencies with looking after everything in Australia while we're gone. Uh, and the bike will be there anyway, so it means we will have a bit more time to get up to Nordcap and explore Scandinavia a bit more. Um, maybe we'd stay further south a bit longer and get better weather up north. And yeah, we haven't been, we haven't explored a lot of Spain. We've never been to Portugal. There's heaps of heaps of things we'll be able to do to fill in our time and still have a wonderful experience on the road. And hey, there's a lot of worse things than riding a bike around those twisty roads around the Stelvio Pass and the mountain passes of Europe, Jim. <laughs> this is true. It's it's not like you're going to be hard done by. <laughs> but it will be a bunch of money gone to waste. And let me ask you, how far in advance have you been planning this? Actually, not very long. Brian went to lunch with some friends and came home and said, I've booked the bike uh, to go to Greece <laughs> next April. And this was probably about August 
last year. So we haven't been planning it long. We've only just been home two years. Um, so I still haven't done the photo album from our last trip. <laughs> I was out with a friend not long ago, or over at his house rather, and uh, I mentioned something about a photo, and his girlfriend says, "What photo? I haven't seen any photos from that trip." Well, that was about three years ago. He's still sorting <laughs> them, <laughs> so I, I think you're not the only ones. <laughs> I've thrown her on the back of a bike and taken her through Vietnam on a little 250. Uh, since then, Jim, uh, we did a month uh, in uh, Vietnam, which was uh, a lot of fun, actually, a lot of fun. That's just roaming around. Uh, we did an eight-day uh, bike tour from Hanoi up to the Chinese border and back with a group of friends. And I've got to tell you, that's two up touring with a difference because the bike was a 250 and the pinion seat was the seat from a Honda Cub Special bolted to the luggage rack. <laughs> that makes a good conversation right now. So what was that like on a small bike? Bike size was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have to carry our luggage. We had a support vehicle. So it was just Brian and I in a day pack on the bike. But um, I did the whole eight days without getting in the support truck. So I was pretty pleased. I'm seriously in awe of her, Jim, because uh, there was a couple other girls on that trip and they each had a, a turn in the support truck. Not my girl. She sat on the back and took it all. And the, the suspension on a well-worn Honda 250 uh, was well, not the best, and the roads are muddy, and you're crossing bamboo bridges, which will only take one bike at a time, uh, all crooked. Um, I surely tried to take a couple of photos off the back and got some nice shots of the back of my head. <laughs> but uh, no, she, she did a marvellous job sitting on the back. Well, well done, Shirley. Thank you. That, that shows you have stamina. I guess you've developed it over the years. Well, yeah, and... Um... I just kept thinking, thank goodness, it's only eight days because it wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world. But at the end of the day, we were with really good people and uh, we saw some amazing sights. We really went into the back blocks of Vietnam. So the scenery was pretty incredible and we met some lovely people in the villages. And But also, we kind of think of Vietnam as a tropical area, but it was really cold. We were up in the mountains and... Um, single figures temperature wise and you couldn't you couldn't see more than 10 feet in front of the bike because of the the cloud and uh, we stayed in one town which every second shop was a north face shop where they sell ski gear and everyone on our trip went and bought either a new jacket an extra jacket a pair of gloves <laughs> a pair of overpants <laughs> because everyone had been taken by surprise as to how cold it was but you were tra you're, you're traveling Charlie and Ewan style <laughs> with your with your chase vehicle, so you didn't have to worry about having too much gear. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that, there was a lot to be said for that. I've got to say, <laughs> to have the case just uh, you take it down in the in the morning and leave it in the foyer, a bit like a an organised bus tour, and then we'd all jump on the bikes. And we had four guides with us, and they would check the chains overnight, make sure it all all the bikes oil was right, and. And they'd find the petrol stations and everyone would just ride through the bowsers and then they'd pay the bill all at once and uh, they'd find little places for us to stop for morning tea somewhere that we'd be able to get a, a soft drink and a you know, a cup of tea and uh, we had places organised for lunch. It was really good travelling and not really having to think about anything other than getting on the bike in the morning and riding and then enjoying good company at the end of the day. What was the bike like for power with two of you on it? Oh, look, uh, uh, seriously, Jim, over there, um, a 250 is more than adequate. 
Uh, in fact, the best bikes that were on the trip were actually 150 Hondas, and um, we had some really big guys riding those, and they loved them. They, they, and their travel suspension was really good. You can't travel fast, you know. You're going uh, on a road where a lot of people use mopeds and things like that, and carry everything on them. We actually saw a live cow being carted on the back of a, of a uh, little uh, 125. Um, stuff like that, you know, so you're not moving fast. Um, we had a bit of a play with some friends coming down a mountain, um, which was a bit of fun. But seriously, um, 250 is plenty big enough. The cow on the motorcycle, the first time yeah. I've seen that is just on a video on Facebook just recently. Uh, only, But it wasn't oh, a... Yeah. Are you talking a full-size cow? Full-size cow, um, tethered uh, with the legs tethered together, uh, laying on a, uh, uh, like a rack on the back of the bike, quite a big rack, obviously, uh, with its head tied down towards its legs. It actually looked quite cool, but uh, I was surprised the thing was alive, but it actually was alive, yeah. Animal welfare is not high on their agenda, no. I've got to say. That was one downside of Vietnam for me. Yeah. I can't imagine a cow on the back of a motorcycle, not that size. The one I was talking about was a calf. This this guy had pulled over and saw a calf that was drowning basically in a ditch. Oh, yes, yeah. Did you yeah, see that? I've seen that on Facebook here. That was yeah. so incredible, you know, and he didn't even hesitate. He just jumped right in. He, he grabs it and, and tries to get it out, and after a bunch of messing around, gets it out, and as you saw, he put it on his bike and rode away, and I thought, boy, I've never, I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if I could, could pull that off to begin with. Uh, that happens a lot in outback Australia here. That happens a lot, and uh, with uh, sheep as well, throw them over the front of the tank of the bike and stuff like that. I've done that. A friend of ours was yeah. in the desert and found, or not in the desert, but in the outback and found a lamb that had been separated from the flock yeah. and he put it in his backpack and <laughs> rode to the flock and then let it go so it could go and find its mother. Wow, this sounds like a new show topic. Um, different ways to carry <laughs> animals on your motorcycle. <laughs> Let's talk about riding two up. Surely you've always said you're happy to ride pillion and you don't have a problem with it. It's, you're not interested in riding the bike. When is it not fun? Um, when is it not fun? Well, look, to me there are t plenty of times when motorcycling is not fun because of the weather. But really, our bike, I have plenty of space. I have a really comfortable seat. We have um, music. We can talk to each other. So... I never find it uncomfortable. Even really long days, I can stretch my legs and you know, wriggle around in the seat to, to, get, um, to get a bit more comfortable. So really, other than weather, I wouldn't say there's any times when it's not fun as far as the physical riding. The dirt roads, I think, might be a bit of a problem, but I'm, I'm trying to get Shirley to stand up with me when we hit dirt roads for extra... Uh, so you're not getting the pounding on your back. Um, when we hit some dirt stuff, but yeah, that's uh, true. at the moment, that. at the moment, she still sits down. I stand up when we do that uh, for better control of the bike. But uh, um, you never know; we might get there. Yeah, I've heard there are some people who coordinate that, so they're both standing at the same time. But yeah. it still has to be something to handle. Yeah, it, it doesn't come naturally to me, and I've got to say, I get lonely sitting on the bike on my own when he stands up. Um, that also doesn't feel natural to me, not to have him directly in front of me. So, yeah, a lot of the time on those dirt roads, I just, I just sit really still to make sure I'm not going to do anything that's going to throw the bike. Shirley, has Brian ever dropped the bike while you're on it? 
Oh gosh, yes. Oh, easy. <laughs> he actually we were. She, she on was a really excited to say that, Brian. Did you hear that? <laughs> I can hear it in her voice. No, the last, the last trip we did, um, we were away for sixteen months, and he never dropped the bike once. And we'd been home a couple of months, and we were doing a charity ride, and we were the lead bike behind a police car. So it's not like he was going at breakneck speed and behind us were 176 bikes and we came round a corner on a wet road and hit diesel and the bike just went out from underneath us and we were doing 95 kilometres an hour and um, that was uh, the biggest off I've ever had and I skidded across the road and wrecked all my gear but I I was fine, I wasn't injured. The one thing I found extraordinary was 176 bikes, 176 plus mobile phones not one photo ended up on facebook <laughs> nothing <laughs> i was quite relieved about that <laughs> the, bike, the bike handled very well actually i just sort of slid down the road and uh, surely ended up with a, a bruised uh, buttock but uh, <laughs> uh i did get a photo of and did share with some of my u.s mates but uh, that's another story jim <laughs> Well, it sounds like one I'm interested in, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I came home after the accident and he went travelling with some friends of ours who'd come out from the States for this particular charity ride. And I was talking to him on the phone and I said that the bruising was coming up a real treat. He said, oh, send me a photo. So I sent him a photo. And next thing I started getting SMSs from our friends saying, oh, that bruise looks really terrible. I thought, oh, thank you very much, for sharing that. <laughs> That's great. Hey, guys, look at this. <laughs> Look what I did to my wife. <laughs> that, that's a fast, I mean, in all seriousness, that's a fast get-off. Uh, yeah, that's, that's quite yeah. a high speed. Yeah, look, uh, look, seriously, um, it was a wet road, and normally you can see diesel. This was going up a hill, and a truck, which had fueled up in the town down the road, had obviously spilt diesel out in a line, and I was just unlucky enough to have both wheels in that line, and we just went down so quick, there's nothing I could do about it. Um, but uh, uh, as everybody said, if it wasn't us, it would be someone else in the 176. Uh, the bike I just picked up and I was able to ride it away, but wore away one of the panniers and uh, the crash bar over the left-hand cylinder, and that was about it. So it was just pick up and ride it away, really. And, and because it was wet, um, I parted company from the bike and slid along the road and the only thing I kept thinking was I didn't know where I was on the road and we were on a dual um, highway so I I wasn't sure whether I was on the other side of the road and I still don't know where I ended up but when I stopped I just got up and (laughs) I was pushed over to the side of the road. But that's one of the dangers of travelling together I suppose, you both come off you know, that's happened and we were in the back blocks of uh, Turkey on our first trip and um, I just stopped and I was walking the bike backwards, uh, you know, just stationary, just walking it backwards. And someone had taken a, a steel grate away from a drain and my leg went in there. Hmm. And I thought, if the bike falls on this leg, it's broken. So I ripped it out and uh, scun Shirley's knee. So I ripped my, my leg out and we just went down uh, quite hard on the right-hand side. But um, it quite, you know, again, it's just to get up and walk away. Yeah, and that is one of the dangers, isn't it? I mean, because if you, you do get into any problem, it's both of you. Yeah. And I'm right. comparing it to riding your own motorcycles. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And, and on a trip like we're undertaking now, um, if something goes wrong, um, we could both be, be hurt. And uh, one of the, the things with 
with adventure travel like this is I take out evacuation insurance. So someone flies in, picks you up, and takes it home. And we couldn't have it. In, we could not do it any other way. My question with this, though, is when we look at it and we talk about the the difference between traveling with the two bikes to the one. And and the one, if you get in a problem, it's both of you involved with it. Whereas, you know, in, in the average scenario, if or if two separate bikes are traveling and something happens, it's usually going to be the one bike. But doesn't just the having two separate bikes double your chances of a problem? Uh, I, 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 I guess it does. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. And two separate bikes, you also need double the spares. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, though, just looking at the safety aspect, because often people think that way, and when we talk about it, we think of, well, if you're, you're both on the same bike, you know, you're exposing yourself, but I'm not sure as that's the case, because it seems to me that when you split up, you're really um, doubling the odds, you know, you're putting, you're putting two things out there to get hit, so you're doubling the odds. I'm, I'm not sure as it's any, any more dangerous or, or possibly even safer with two of you in one spot. I, I think that's true, Jim, and I also, uh, everybody's different in their... Um their comfort level on the bike, you know, some will push harder than others. And if you push someone beyond their limits, there's more chance of them coming off uh, a speed that they're not used to or taking a corner in a different manner to, than what you do. Um, so I think um, travelling with two bikes, and we, we know couples that travel with uh, two bikes a lot, and um, each and every time uh, one of them has gone down at some point. And, uh, you know, it's, it's another bike you've got to fix. It's another set of spares. It's another set of tyres. It's another set of chains and sprockets. All that sort of stuff you've got to carry with you. So, um, you know, if you can handle the weight, the big disadvantage, I think, is the weight and the carrying capacity of one bike. Let's, let's look at the advantages and disadvantages separately here for a second. Let's go through the advantages first that you guys see riding all the time and, and doing the amount of traveling that you guys have done, always two up with a pillion. And for those who don't know, the pillion means that you're riding passenger on the back of the motorcycle. What do you see are the advantages of that? One of the big things I find is uh, when you're coming into a strange city, You've got your passenger with you, and with Shirley in particular, and with any passenger, I think, um, they should study the map and they should be able to help and direct you, and it's another set of eyes, because when you're in a strange city and you're riding on the wrong side of the road than you're used to, and all those things, and uh, it's a lot easier to navigate one bike through the traffic when you've got two sets of eyes uh, looking for things, looking for a street or um, uh, something like that, or a, a landmark of some description. It's, uh, it's a lot easier that way. You're keeping together. You don't have to worry about one person getting lost while the other person ends up in the, in the correct spot or vice versa, or both getting lost for that matter. Just think about when you go through sort of traffic lights. If one bike's um, 50 or 100 metres behind you and you get through a set of traffic lights and you don't know where you're going, and they don't, you're going to have to stop and wait. Uh, things like that. That's a good point because anyone who's ridden with a group knows that that is one of the biggest problems with running with a group is that daisy chain effect where you start out and then somebody stops and then the whole group has to stop and then you have to get yep. back together again. Yeah, that's right. Certainly when you're travelling just the two of us on one bike, when we stop for petrol, there's no waiting for someone else or mm. uh, if you stop for lunch, there's no waiting for the slow one. We can dictate our time when we get going. Mm. It's uh, It's... We have more control over that aspect of it. And um, Brian always knows where I am. That's true. <laughs> which, which is a huge advantage. But even you mentioned directing through traffic or directing or your directions itself, figuring out where you have to go in the city and, and that person helping you with the navigation. Mm. And another set of eyes. I think, yeah, they're excellent points. Oh, and sometimes, 
just trying to find a hotel. Brian will know what street it's in and the GPS will get us to the street, but I can be looking either side to try and find numbers or to look for the name of the hotel or to try and find the parking area and see if I can and get a glimpse of it before we're actually on top of it so he can prepare for the turn. So he only has to worry about not hitting things and I can worry <laughs> about finding where we're going. And uh, that Cheryl has been known, and I've seen her do this, uh, fending off tuk-tuk drivers in <laughs> India from, uh, uh, from the bike and actually leaning her hand on the front of bonnets of cars in uh, India and Pakistan and places like that to fend off the cars from hitting us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's another, that's handy too, another set of hands. So it's kind of counterintuitive in a way to think of this, but really when you're on the one bike, you're actually more comfortable in a stressful situation. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah that's true. And we can be talking to each other and, you know, if things are getting a bit stressful, we can calm each other down and, and we tend to take it in turns to, to get stressed, which <laughs> always works out really well. So the other one can be the voice of reason and then we can get through the situation and it's all done and dusted. <laughs> I like that. Now, for communication, you guys had mentioned before that um, you're using helmet communicators. Would you consider that to be um, a necessary piece of equipment? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I do. And I've got an old system, an old wired system on my bike, and uh, I've been looking at Bluetooth, but uh, I'm still not sold on it. Uh, I've heard of a lot of people with problems with pairing devices that will run with uh, GPSs uh, and uh, 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 rider pillion, uh, things like that. So at the moment, I'm happy with my uh, old wide system. And I couldn't imagine sitting on the back of the bike for, you know, four or five hundred kilometres, you know, a whole day's riding, and not being able to talk to Brian, ask him questions, tell him I need to stop, without having to lean around and shout or punch him in the kidneys or something that's not quite as friendly as being able to, to chat to him and tell him it's time we need a break or, you know, this town looks interesting, let's pull up here and have a look around. You know, just, just that being able to share. I'm a bit of a chatterbox, it would drive me nuts. But Shirley, you once told me you continually poke him in the ribs. Oh, yeah, that's, a speed, that's my handbrake when he goes too fast. <laughs> oh, that's a too fast signal. I've got those before. Yeah, yeah. I still have a bruised right kidney. <laughs> uh, just the t togetherness uh, to me is pretty important. There is something about that physical connection, isn't there? There yeah. is, yeah. The pat on the leg or, you know, just and being able to talk to each other. and Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a real comfort. So let's look at the disadvantages now. Uh, for me, the main disadvantage is the luggage we can carry. Yeah. Have, just having one one set of panniers and um, roll bags or a top box, you know, we we find places to put stuff and we we're actually going through now paring down what we're going to take so we're not taking as much weight probably as we did on our last trip. But when you look at the things that we like to take, like we like to have a laptop, we so we can download our photos. We've got cameras and batteries and chargers and all those things. You need to have the space to deal with all that easily. And when it's on one bike, it's a real fine art to fit everything in and not overload the bike. Yeah, and, and with this particular trip, it's, um, it's going to quite remote regions of the world. So you have to t carry what you think you're going to need to get the bike going if something breaks um, and get to somewhere where you can get uh, parts. But, you know, if you're just travelling around the States, I wouldn't worry too much because... You know, you're not that far away from any um, any real service. 
uh, or assistance. But uh, where we're going on this trip is going to be completely different. So you need extra space for that. And uh, travelling two up limits that. I've actually uh, mounted a, an additional toolbox on the, my bike for this trip. Um, so I think um, if you're going to travel two up, you've got to think where you're going and what you're going to be doing. Uh, are you going to put the bike under a lot of stress and what parts do you need to get it going? For example, you don't need brake pads. Um, you, can, you can ride a bike without brakes if you have to. Um, so. I actually don't find that very comforting, but he tells me technically it's okay. Well, you know, it's funny. I related as soon as he said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Jim. You know, we bumped into a guy in Quetta in Pakistan, and he'd run out of brakes on his BMW. So pulled the um, brake pads out, which were metal to metal. We went to a, um, a tanning waller, and he had strips of cowhide, and he just... Um, um, he glued strips of cowhide onto the old brake pads and put them back in. So it's not metal on metal. Then you can slow the bike down. Yeah, sure, they didn't work too well, but hey, it didn't stop him. kept him going. So you don't really need it. But you do need things that will stop the bike, like an alternator belt, like a spark plug, like a fuel filter or stuff like that. That's what you really need to take. The other thing with travelling two up is uh, when you're camping, which we now do sometimes, just you see people who are on two bikes and the size of the pan they have and the things they can cook on their little stove. I always have some very serious uh, stove envy. We can cook and we'll never starve to death, but I don't have a pot big enough to cook some of the more exotic dishes that you see other people cooking when they're just travelling on their own or there's two of them on two bikes. And that's probably one of the more obvious ones, the lack of space. What other things are disadvantages? Weight, I think, Jim. Um, you know, I thought about um, a BMW GS Adventure is a big bike, and uh, where we're taking it, it's pushing it to its limits, and it's heavy. Uh, with us and our gear, we're we're hitting the limit of what a GS will carry. Um, uh, so when you're going slow through sand and mud and things like that, it's really hard work. Uh, that's one of the biggest disadvantages. If I was travelling solo, I'd probably have a smaller bike. Uh, you don't need it, but you need something when you travel like this. There's no point having too small a bike because you need to travel at the, at the pace of traffic around you for safety, I think. So, um, weight is uh, probably the next biggest disadvantage that I can see travelling to up. It's okay on a highway, it's okay in towns, but when you get into really rough territory, really rough roads, uh, like Sony Pass, which we did on the last trip in South Africa, you know, that's, um, that's really hard work and hard going. Doing river crossings, which are really stony bottomed and you're two up, that's tough. And uh, we got stuck in one place where the bike ended up sideways on a muddy road. I didn't drop it, but I said to Shirley, look, I simply can't do this with you on the bike. Um, you're going to have to get off and trudge through the mud and try and get it through to the other end where I think it's safe enough. So weight is a big problem when, you, when you're doing really hard stuff. That's not something I enjoy getting off and actually walking. <laughs> That's when you enjoy that? No, I don't enjoy oh. that at all. <laughs> but when it's that muddy and that difficult, I'd rather walk than have my extra weight cause Brian to drop the bike. 
One of the huge advantages that we sort of skipped over quickly, cost. When you ride two bikes, you've got two sets of tires and two sets of chains and four sprockets. Uh, I mean, you've got a lot of redundant things there, which are great for a breakdown. It's, it's an advantage if you have a breakdown. If the bikes are the same, you can use the parts on one to test the, the other machine and see what the problem is. But you double the chance of a breakdown. Yeah, that's true. And also, think of the, the cost of fuel. If cost is your big concern, day-to-day running costs, almost the same as a car. So um, that's one of the advantages. And when you're shipping, um, when you do oh, the yeah. sort of trips we do, and we fly the bike from continent to continent when we're actually uh, on the road, that's getting expensive when you're having to pay for two bikes mm. to, the, to, to do that sort of shipping. That's it really adds a lot extra to your traveling budget. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Do you think it would be better if you both rode the bike, you both drove the bike? Mm. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly, if something happened to one of us. But, you know, a big bike for a woman to handle is a special skill in itself. I know there are very competent women riders out there that can ride big bikes, but not everyone can. It could be an advantage, Jim. And if it's two guys travelling together, well, you know, if you're good mates, well, that's fine. We've met couples that both ride and yeah. they take it in turns to ride the bike. And, um, you know, they enjoy travelling that way and uh, it certainly gives them both a break and sometimes they argue as to who's going to be um, riding when they go into certain places because the other one doesn't want to be the pinion. But for us, it's kind of, it's just irrelevant because I don't ride and um, it's not an option for us. And people have said, what happens if Brian gets ill? Well, we just sit and wait until he gets better. Um, Grant and Susan Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, they tell of living in a tiny village, I think in Tunisia, when Grant was quite ill and um, Susan just muddled around without being able to speak the language, but soon got to work out where the food was and they just that tight until he was better and that's just what you have to do or find a truck and put the bike on a truck and get out of where you are that way so you just have contingencies because it's not an option for us that's sort of life isn't it i mean i think a lot of times when we're talking about this sort of thing we we think of you know which one might be the best you know scenario and and it's valid to do that but sometimes that's just life you find yourself in a situation and you have to deal with it yeah that's right and you choose we choose to travel the way we we do. Um, we've met couples that um, he rides and she doesn't, so they opt to take a car, um, you know, a four-wheel drive. We met a lot of um, couples on our last trip, particularly in South America, who were travelling for six, six, 12 months or longer, but in a car because he loved motorbikes, she didn't, or whatever the reason. And they were having just as much fun as us, seeing the same places, you know, being able to carry so much stuff in a car. Deep, deep envy when I saw what they could produce at the end of the day. Oh, yeah, but, but, he, but he had to borrow a bike to get ahead of his system and uh, go for a bit of a ride. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you just, as you say, it's just what you can do and uh, you make the best of it. And we have a friend who loves doing motorcycle trips and his wife will not get on the back of the bike. So he does his trips on his own and he's um, envious of the way we travel because I will get on the back of the bike and he wishes his wife would, but she doesn't. So he does shorter trips, he still gets his motorcycle kick and then they do trips together in the car to other places. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with more from Brian and Shirley. 
I want to talk to you for a few minutes about getting a free Audible book from audibletrial.com forward slash ARR. Now, it's a, a partnering deal that we have with Audible that gets you a free book. You go there, you sign up with a new account, you put your credit card information in there, and you don't pay a thing for your first book. It's absolutely free, and you can choose from any of the titles they have. You can choose motorcycle books, which are great. Sam Manicom has fantastic books there. Jeremy Craker has a book called Motorcycle Therapy, which another fantastic book. There's loads of others. You can choose what you want. You keep the account for a month. And if you cancel before the end of that month, you don't pay a dime. So there's no obligation to it. You just sign up for the account, you get your free book, and then decide whether you want to keep it or not. But I guarantee you, if you sign up for this thing, you're going to want to keep it. Because it's just like a podcast. You're listening to a podcast now, which you enjoy. And the Audible book, what it does, it allows you to put your headphones on or or put it on in your vehicle while you're going somewhere. And you can either learn something, you can be entertained. It's an absolutely fantastic way, rather than just frittering your mind away, sitting there thinking about thoughts that you probably would rather not, or worrying about things, or just sitting there in la-la land. You're better off to get something out of it. Don't waste your time. Life's too short. Go sign up at audibletrial.com forward slash ARR and get the free book. Get it courtesy of Adventure Rider Radio. And of course, the ARR means Adventure Rider Radio. It's a code we put in so that they know the reference came from us. And by you signing up, Adventure Rider Radio gets credit for it and you get a free book. Like I said, if you don't want to keep it, you just cancel it and you don't pay a dime. audibletrial.com forward slash ARR. You mentioned about packing and getting more into the car, getting into more onto two motorcycles. Isn't it really just the way we do things? The more space we have, the more crap we take with us. Oh, absolutely. How many of us have loaded up our bikes, went off to have an adventure of whatever length, and stopped to get some groceries and found we can't fit them in? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I've seen guys traveling solo that carry far more than we carry, uh, including Shirley. <laughs> the back seat's just full of junk. Really, you don't, you know, you can, you can par right down. And given the opportunity, if we take our car, I can fill the yeah. um, the trunk. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> but I can also live with um, one pair of jeans and one pair of pants and a couple of t-shirts and. Yeah, you, you just get used to, to doing what you do. There is a point, I guess, of diminishing returns. And like I think that's what you guys are expressing. When you're, when you're two up on a motorcycle, you've already got down to the bare necessities, and now you're having to split hairs. Well, there's yeah. that. There is yeah. that. And you do, you know, we lay out the clothes and think, oh, well, that can't go, that can't go. Um, and on our first trip, we were putting stuff on our webpage, and some of my friends were saying, if I see that red shirt again, in another photo, I'm going to scream, go and buy a new shirt. Just on the weight issue, Jim, if I can just go back to that, I, I really should have mentioned that for this trip, I've modified the bike a lot. I've, t- I've got rid of the top box off the uh, BMW GS. That top box weighs 10 kilograms, and it tells you you can weigh, you can take about 5 kilos. Well, most people will load it up to about 8 or 10 kilos anyway. Um, but I've ditched that, and I've got a soft bag which takes all our camping gear, all our, um, our uh, jumpers and shoes and things like that, and that total weight of that bag is 17 kilos. So really being concentrating on where you carry your weight and try and keep it as low as possible and how you compact yourself down. You know, if you took a top box and a bag with your tent and all that sort of stuff, well, you're up around 30 kilos hanging off the back of the bike. So uh, that's what I've done. So I've really concentrated on getting that weight down. 
And what are you using for panniers? Uh, you've got the standard uh, BMW panniers. Um, they're made by Touratech on license anyway. They're good enough. Um, I have seen some great panniers like old Jesse's stuff and, and gear like that. But when I bought this bike, it came with the panniers. Um, so we've just kept the, the standard panniers. And, of course, Shirley being a girl, she gets the big one, I get the little one. Um, uh, but she has to take the computer. That's the trade-off. Always a trade-off. Now, when we're talking about bike size, I mean, you guys just did the trip that you, you said on the little 250. I know you weren't loaded with gear, but what size of bike do you guys think is the ideal size for riding two up? Wow. Um, I would say it has to be 650 or bigger. Um, for, for comfortable to up traveling and you, you need the space on the bike um, you don't need to be uncomfortable so I would say 650 up um, the, I, I've looked at the 800 uh, GS uh, bikes uh, but I've got my 1200 and I'm very happy with that that's a great bike for, for, for traveling um, but I know that the, the 650 um, V-Strom Suzuki's have great seat uh, uh, room and uh, are well capable of carrying everything too. Uh, again, that bike is probably good enough to sit on most speed limits around the world um, and as long as you can protect its uh, protrusions like its oil cool and all the rest of it, uh, it's a pretty damn good bike. I was going to ask you about that. Are we really talking about engine size for pulling power, or are we talking about frame size? And I was going to use the V-Strom as an example because the, yeah. the frame size in the V-Strom 650 is quite large compared to something like yeah. the KLR, which tends to be fairly narrow, or, or even narrower would be the, the Honda 650. It's yeah. very narrow in the back. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think you have to go, look, we actually tried on our first trip, we actually tried a GS Adventure, 1150 Adventure, and the seat was too short. We took it for a 500k ride, and um, uh, the, the grab rail at the back was hitting Shirley in the back. And it was just far too short a seat for two-up travel for us. Um, so uh, we, didn't went, we didn't go that way. We went for the standard GS, which had the two separate seats. Um, to me, it's that space which makes your ride comfortable. So whatever bike it is, but my big thing is being able to uh, maintain the speed of the traffic around you as well. I think it's a really good safety feature. I've seen people travelling on Honda 90s out on the highways where our big road trains go past them, which are four and five semi-trailers long. And it terrifies me, absolutely terrifies me when you see them. We come to the last thing that I have on my list here. And that's fighting on the bike. So <laughs> now I know you guys don't, but let's just let's just pretend. Let's put ourselves in those positions where, if you were just pretending, if you were to have an argument, what's it like to deal with when you're pressed up against each other? <laughs> and the sort of the last thing you want to do is talk to that other person. Well, it's certainly we don't talk to each other when we're having one of those moments. We didn't do it very often on this last trip, but on our first trip we didn't have GPS and um, I actually don't read maps very well at all, so that's when we used to argue. And um, I would just stop talking. Even if he spoke to me, I just wouldn't answer. I'd give him the silent treatment. Um, and you just, if you, you can, I can let him know that I'm really angry and I can get off the bike and just walk away and just see the little bit, but um, we don't fight very often. I took her around the Newburgh ring on the back of a bike, <laughs> and I thought she was screaming with delight as we were going around the corners, you know, drifting both wheels and that sort of stuff. And when we got back to the pit, she said, 
I don't want to talk to you. Don't talk to me. And she just walked away. I actually took some days to get over that. I was absolutely delivered. Because <laughs> he knew I wasn't screaming with delight. <laughs> <laughs> so you just have to suck it up. It's one of those you really things. Do. Yeah, you really do. And um, everyone has bad days. And as I said before, you know, we tend to share the stress. One of us will be stressed and one won't. And we tend to do that with bad moods. One of us will be in a bad mood and the other won't. So we'll try and jolly the other one out of it. So, um, But we've been together more than 30 years. So we kind of know each other pretty well. When you guys started out riding together, did you work out who was going to do what? I mean, Brian was driving the bike and, you know, surely you're going to do something else. Did you plan that ahead of time? Well, what we tend to do is um, uh, we'll, we'll sit down with our maps um, either the night before or a bit before and work out where we want to go and what we want to go and see. Uh, so we've both got in our mind what we really want to do on that particular day or where we want to head to. Um, and we just talk about it as we go along. So I wouldn't say that we have... Uh, special roles. Like, oh, apart from the fact I'm the tour guide. Oh, uh, yeah, well, no. The, no Brian finds true. the roads and I say, oh, no, we need to take a detour here because this town is really interesting or this place has an interesting museum, let's stop there. And so yeah. I do that I do that kind of research and, and that's uh, that's my yeah, main and thing. I, I, I did get the sack from um, going in booking hotel rooms too, I think. Didn't oh, I? yes. His idea of an adequate room and my idea of an adequate room are very different. So it's much easier for me to get off the bike, go into the hotel, check out the room, and then come back and say, no, this is no good, uh, and we'll go somewhere else. Rather, he'd say, yeah, it's fine, and I'd get in the room and think, you are kidding me, right? This isn't fine at all. <laughs> so we, get, we do have our little roles in that respect. Tour guide and accommodation is mine, and he can do the roads and the mechanics. Well, that's what I was going to say. So when you're camping, doesn't one take, you know, the dinner and the other one takes the maintenance or somebody unpacks and somebody sets up or something like that? Uh, I always set up the inside of the tent. I always um, fix the beds and the and the sleeping bags and, and get the torches organized and all that sort of stuff. And he gets the bike settled, um, maybe gets firewood. Yeah. So we do have those little roles. And um, I guess I do the hand washing in the sink, <laughs> the girl stuff, but he also does that. So but there's actually nothing nicer than at the end of the day when we've had a big day on the bike to sit down and share a beer together or a glass of wine and just sit and talk over the day and, uh, and plan the next day. It's one of the joys of travelling together, being able to share everything. Thank you for adding that because that's something that we didn't touch on was the fact that when you're traveling with somebody else just in general, you've got another person just to share the experience with. And that doesn't matter if you're on separate bikes or the same bike. That's right. And that's really important. That's really important to us to be able to to share things. And uh, and sometimes we get different perspective on the experiences and um, that also broadens your horizons and the things that we want to see. There'll be some things that Brian will want to see, which might be like the Harley-Davidson Museum in Milwaukee. And I thought, really? Leave me out of it. I'll stay at the hotel. But I went with him and I really enjoyed it. So there are things that having someone else to share them with pushes you to, to experience new stuff, different stuff. And even now, Jim, after all this time, um, you know, sometimes the camera doesn't capture everything I can remember sitting on a, a steep in South Africa with Shirley with the bike there, and I say, well, you know, look at that view. Just look at that. And you sit there for a few minutes and really take it in, and you reminisce on those things um, years later. And uh, that's pretty special. 
after all these miles you guys have ridden together, is this trip in particular going to be any different, more stressful? Uh, this, this adventure will test us, Jim, I think, uh, but um, not uh, our relationship and not our ability to travel on the bike, but the sheer logistics of it and um, uh, where we're actually travelling is uh, not going to be easy in some parts, I'm sure. Well, it sounds like even just quite a, a paperwork nightmare, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It just seems that it's like that's a huge amount of paperwork alone just to get into an area. Uh, I know it's just crazy. In in Mongolia, um, they actually say that you can't, you shouldn't put the fact that you're retired on the visa application because they don't like letting retirees in just in case you decide to stay. Well, I hope you guys have a fantastic trip, and I'm sure you will. And we'll hear from you probably when you get back. Shirley, Brian, thanks very much for coming on today. Nice talking to you again. Ride safe. Thanks, Thank you. will do. Bye, mate. Bye. I've been speaking with Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks from Australia, both world travellers and authors, and about to head out on another adventure. We'll have to watch for that new book when it comes out. You can find out more about Shirley and Brian at aussiesoverland.com.au, and they're going to have that Facebook page done soon too. Today's show is brought to you in part by MotorTour.com, and that's the online community solely dedicated to bikers. It's like a Facebook for bikers. It's free to join up. You go to the website MotorTour, that's MotorTour.com, and Audible, where you can pick up a free Audible book today, courtesy of Adventure Rider Radio, by visiting AudibleTrial.com forward slash ARR. Now, don't miss next week's show. We're going to be talking about motorcycle suspensions, particularly for adventure riding. And you might be shocked at what you find out about your own rear end. Now, don't forget to follow us on Facebook because we've just started a new program where we have a a system where you can actually press on a button and then record your message. And we're going to take some of those messages and put them on the show. So you can have your own voice on the show here talking about one of our subjects. And we're going to post on Facebook questions for you to answer or input that we're looking for. So follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and visit the website. Click on the comment button and let us know what you think of the show. Also, drop by iTunes. You can find the link to iTunes right on our very own website on the right-hand side there on the home page. Click on that and rate us at iTunes. Let them know what you think of the show. Hey, make sure you check out the partners that we have for Adventure Rider Radio, the ones you hear about on this show. Let them know that you heard about it here. That helps keep the show going as well as your donations. My name's Jim Martin, and this is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, I'm Ed March from C90Adventures.co.uk, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.